Hi, I'm Ken. And I'm Dee. And this is Antiques Freaks. The most popular podcast of all time. That's a lie, but it is a podcast about antiques. It's not a lie. It's a projection. Ah, I see. Rhonda Bierns' The Secret says that you gotta start thinking things to make them real. So what antiques are we talking about this week? Speaking of things that are extremely popular, and a lot of people have actually requested that we talk about this, so are you ready to talk about Ray Dunn? Hell yeah, I am. <laughs> Let's talk about Ray Dunn. You know it. A lot of people have brought this to our attention, including you. <laughs> including me, including our dear friend Olivia. Devin as well. Um, Ray Dunn has captured the nation's heart. It's certainly captured the nation's attention. And certainly it's wallet. <laughs> oh, how droll. Oh, that was the fakest laugh I've ever done. <laughs> uh, so, and <laughs> the extreme off chance you don't know what Ray Dunn is, it is a brand of ceramics with a focus on kitchenware that has a rustic minimalist appearance and is generally emblazoned with plain, simple, inspirational sayings, very similar to Live, Laugh, Love. In a very specific font, which is tall, quote-unquote, handwritten printed letters, sans serif. Yeah, it's, um, in my digging around, you can find the font itself on defont.com. You can find an imitation of it. Supposedly, it's Ray Dunn's own handwriting. Uh, yeah, it's, um, it's really similar to a lot of those, like, standard commercial hand-drawn fonts. Um, and it's the kind of lettering that's pretty easy to do yourself by hand. True. Very true. A lot of their appeal has got to do with the fact that everything about it would be pretty easy to do with yourself by hand. It's got a certain minimalist simplicity to it that is very appealing to, I must admit, myself. And there you go. That's the thing. So already we are going to be tackling the fact that it has a universal appeal that cannot be denied. And if you say you don't like it, you are at least a little bit lying. I don't know if I'd go that far, but it certainly is popular with a great number of people. I think it is possible to genuinely dislike Ray Dunn. I think that is a thing that can happen to a human. That's fair. The things you need to know about Ray Dunn is that it is found exclusively at TJX stores, which is TJ Maxx, Marshalls, and Home Goods. It is pretty cheap as far as uh, home decor goods kind of tend to go. Very, very few pieces are over $20, and most of them hover in the 5 to 6 range. And let's start with, where did this fucking come from? Holy shit. Where did it come from, Ken? Where did it come from? Hell? My money's on California. Yeah, <laughs> 100% correct. <laughs> did you look this up already? Did you know this was in California? I did look it up when Olivia sent it to us and asked us to do an episode on it. I looked into it and then had to immediately stop looking into it because I was in danger of procuring some Ray Dunn for myself. <laughs> and I don't know why, because it's so antithetical to my aesthetic in every regard. Like, I don't do minimalist. I don't do mid-century modern sleek designs. <laughs> it's not in any way ornate. It's not in any way evocative of the 19th century. It's not in any way matching anything else I have in my house except for the stuff my roommate brought in from Ikea. And yet, the desire remains to hold this in my hideous little goblin hands. Consider this. As far as useful pieces like utilitarian pieces go, which one of the things that I attribute to their popularity is that much of it is extremely utilitarian, they go well with all of that stuff you talked about liking. 
I see. See, I might hesitate to use all of my beautiful turn-of-the-century pieces in my everyday life. I don't, but I might. If I were someone more normal, I might. My brush cup is, in fact, like an old 1870s piece of ironstone. But that's just hashtag aesthetic. Well, that's the thing. Also, because I own so much of it that if some of it doesn't go to use, I'm going to start questioning myself. So, (laughs) not unlike our Ray Dunn collectors we'll talk about in a bit. So if you aren't the kind of person that uses your valuable antiques, this is the kind of thing that looks just fine alongside them in a cabinet, perchance. I would say it is less minimalist and mid-century modern and more farmhouse chic, which to me is a very distinct thing from those things. Oh, so is it appealing to my cottagecore sensibilities? Is that what's happening? I think that's exactly what's happening to you, yeah. Oh no, they've got me in my thatched roof! (laughs) It saw you gazing longingly at the moss-covered paths in the cemetery, and it said, wouldn't this cup look good next to that moss? Oh, no. (laughs) Real thing he did the other day. Listen, all right? (laughs) It was good moss. (laughs) It was really good moss. It was quality moss. Here's the thing, I 100% agree with you on those aesthetics. (laughs) And a lot of things about that, like, cottagecore farmhouse chic thing is that it is about striking a balance between these, like, rustic, homey things, these, like, pretty ornate, like, inherited family things are kind of part of the design as well and plain simple pieces are really valuable in that design aesthetic because it helps from everything looking like too much you know if you've got great grandma's big beautiful like chintz soup tureen it's going to be pretty hard to create like a sort of unity like a professional sense of unity with nine more chintz mugs So having, like, what appears to be a handcrafted white mug that just says, maybe the word chintz, they don't, that doesn't exist, but I would buy that in a heartbeat. It creates more of, like, a harmonious design thing. Well, because it can go with so much other things. It's why abstract art is more popular for home decor than figurative art, because blocks of color can be arranged to look good with walls and furniture. Exactly. And since these pieces are, in fact, utilitarian, that only adds to their appeal. These are mugs that you can actually drink out of. These are crocs that you can actually put stuff in without worrying about if it's going to stain the ironstone or whatever, you know? Again, I'm not that person, but a lot of people are, and I don't fault them for that. (laughs) So it was created by, this will surprise you, a woman named Ray Dunn. (laughs) No way. (laughs) She was a San Francisco potter who found pottery later in her career, uh, around her 30s. My favorite story about how she got into pottery was apparently she was just hanging around Golden Gate Park saw a really cool building that she really liked the look of, found out it was an art studio that offered classes, and flipped a coin to see which of the two classes that were on that day she would take. And it ended up being clay working. Incredible. Every bit of that is so relatable. I have immediately, like, created a parasocial relationship with this woman. That's how they get you. Yep. (laughs) Although she doesn't want me to do that, as we'll find out later. Oh no. (laughs) Apparently, while she was taking the classes... Her instructor kept telling her to smooth out the fingerprints and dents in the pots and cups that she was making, and she refused. She liked that they looked that way because, as she said, quote, it looked like someone made it rather than a machine. I've always been drawn to things that are not perfect. This will become ironic shortly. It will! Radon is also really heavily influenced by, like, a variety of cultures. When you look at pictures of her studio, it becomes immediately obvious why she does minimalist stuff. It's because that's just kind of who she is. She really likes white, and she really likes hunks of white clay that she has sculpted herself. She believes in wabi-sabi, a Japanese aesthetic and also kind of a philosophy. 
that finds beauty in things that are imperfect, impermanent, and incomplete. Which explains why she wanted pieces that didn't look like they'd been mass manufactured. Her pieces got so popular and people were clamoring for them so much that she had them mass manufactured. Uh-oh. Oh no! How did that happen? <laughs> they all have individual imperfections. The same imperfection, every one of them. That's true, actually. I was interested to find that she didn't really have any feelings about them being mass-produced. She saw an opportunity to make money, which could continue her lifestyle of just being a whimsical potter, and she took it. Also extremely relatable. <laughs> so she struck up a deal with a Chinese company called Magenta. Pretty much all she does is she will manufacture a prototype for Magenta, send it to them, and they will mass-produce it. Pretty common. And that is where Ray Dunn lost control of everything except the art she actively makes herself. Oh no. Fun fact, Radon actually doesn't own any of her own stuff except for, like, some of her one-offs. Own any of her own pieces, you mean? She owns the rights to reproduce them. Yes, she only owns the rights to reproduce them. Yeah, her house doesn't have any of the pieces in it except for every now and again she'll make a one-off that she doesn't want to sell, and that's what she'll keep. None of it is the stuff that was made for Magenta. It's always, like, her art pieces, like, artsy stuff. Which is both wildly different and spiritually very similar to the stuff that Magenta manufactures for her. Apparently, people confront her in person about how desirable her stuff is. Wait, they walk up to this woman in the meat space and they say, how dare you make something everyone wants? Yes. Hey, <laughs> I don't know who needs to hear this, but don't do that. What the fuck? Yeah, apparently she like gets cornered ironically at home goods pretty often with people saying like, I can't get your stuff and it makes me sad. Okay, not her department. Yes, true. Don't do this to her. Not her circus, not her horses. <laughs> Sometimes people will go to her and ask her to, like, sign things, which she thinks is cute. That is cute, yeah. But she also has been really public in that everything about it attaining, like, a cult-like status makes her extremely sad. Part of why she had partnered up with Magenta to work with TJX to sell things was to make them accessible and cheap. That was both in her, like, plan. People wanted it, and she wanted people to have it. So the fact that its popularity has created the exact opposite does actually bum her out pretty bad. Oh, Her quote, which I find amazing. The first time I heard that people go hunting for it, I was in disbelief, Ray Dunn says. I feel like the only thing I know how to compare this to is Beanie Babies. People want to collect everything, every piece, but they never will, because I'm continually adding new product. And that's perfect, because this is the Beanie Baby trend plus the internet. This is Beanie Babies, but ceramics. It is. And that's why we're bothering to cover it here, because you might have noticed it's not antique. <laughs> it's not antique, it is collectible. That is part of our podcast. And if you're disappointed that all I'm doing is dunking right now, I actually did write down tips for funding for yourself, because I want to be fair. And also maybe help out your co-host. And also help out my co-host get his pieces, because he wants them. <laughs> my dark secret is I went Ray Dunn hunting without realizing I was doing it. Really? Yes. How did you manage that one? I follow a couple of blogs that focus on Halloween decor. And she does the special Halloween releases. And she does special Halloween releases. And one of the Halloween decor blogs that I followed posted, it was just these plates with like skeletons holding little brooms and wearing witch hats. And I was like, delightful. And that's so good. Yeah. I was like, I want one of those cool. And she posted where she got it. And I was in the area of a home goods. So that's a lie. It's 20 minutes away, but there's other stuff to shop for there. So I was like, fine. I'll go look at the shoe store, and I'll pop into Home Goods see if they got my fun skeleton plates. They didn't. I found out why literally a year later, <laughs> doing this. 
because I, I didn't question it at the time. I just had read like, oh, it's a called Ray Dunn. It's at Home Goods. I went to go find it. There was nothing. I do have a little mug that just has a skeleton on it. That is a Ray Dunn knockoff, and I love it. D, please. It's pronounced skeleton. It's a skeleton. Yes. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> and then it exited my mind until this started happening on TikTok, which seems to be where most of the madness has been contained. Or has it? No, because it's also leaked out into YouTube pretty bad. And Facebook. And also to me going to Home Goods. So, <laughs> and face Facebook very bad. Facebook extremely bad. So this has led to the issue called the Ray Dunn Woman. I think this is unfair because actually there are quite a few gentlemen and people of other gender that do this. But it's so much easier to blame middle-class white women for all of our problems. I read this article by Vice while I was doing research that was just so eye-rollingly, like, trying to pander to that kind of person. Which, don't get it twisted, middle-class white women, they cause problems, but not all of the problems. Yeah, we're not here to downplay the issues caused by middle-class white women, but I am here to say that just because you don't like something doesn't give you a right to just sort of hate women. Uh, <laughs> like, the, the Vice article had the phrase, cis-core, which is not something I'd seen ever before in my entire life, and it was, like, so pandery. No, we just call that normcore. Yeah, I was like, there, there's a term for that, it's normcore. The word is normcore, and it's a neutral word. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, they're trying to, like, buy queer votes, which, like... Which, no. Fuck off, Vice. (laughs) My dude, who do you think is buying all the skeletons? Yeah, exactly. I do believe I mentioned that I had gone Ray Dunn hunting myself at least one time. (laughs) And I probably will again in Halloween, because some of the Halloween pieces are genuinely very cute. They're so spooky! They are extremely spooky. And they've got that vintage vibe that goes with my actual, like, vintage Halloween stuff. I love it so much. Cottagecore and Goblincore intersect fairly well, I find. Very nicely, in my opinion. So the Ray Dunn woman refers to the people that uh, very frequently will wait outside any of the TJX stores, generally before they open, and oftentimes multiple times a week. When they say hunting, they are not joking. No, they're stalking. They're fully killing stalking up in this. <laughs> oh my god, we're gonna get us canceled talking about killing stalking. It's just what it says on the tin, kids. We're romanticizing the act of going to TJ Maxx to find dishware. One of the other things about these people that will haunt the TJX stores, and I do mean haunt, except in this specific way because so far no one has died doing it, although there are a lot of videos of fights happening that you can check out. Resellers are extremely common here. So we're, we're <laughs> this is the other issue of the Ray Dunn Beanie Baby phenomenon. If you remember Beanie Babies, if you have listened to our Beanie Baby episode, one of the things that happened really quickly after Beanie Babies took on a sort of cult-like collector status was that people would buy them en masse for resale. This is not less true for Ray Dunn, unfortunately. I found a YouTube video where a lady met a reseller while she was Ray Dunn hunting, and she labeled the video like uncovering the dark side of Ray Dunn. And then it occurred to me that these are people who are not extremely online and actually don't exist in other collector spaces. For a lot of people, this is their first experience with like what I am going to glibly call collector culture. Oh, wow. Because a lot of them have these videos about this stuff that like, if you're into collecting like any sort of thing, and that does include antiques, we had this whole conversation about, you know, thrift stores. We had our whole episode on thrift store resellers with our friend Holly from Suffragette City Vintage. Also highly recommended if this is the kind of thing that uh, butters your biscuit, so to speak. Holly has a lot of really cool insight on that. But yeah, a lot of them were uploading these like vlogs where this was all clearly new to them. They thought that they had discovered a dark underbelly to this like collecting thing. 
and it makes them extremely mad. Although one of the videos I did watch, she clarified that the reseller who went in early and bought everything for resale did regularly buy a box of coffee and donuts for the employees. That's how you do it. That's how you get them. That has got to be the best reseller I've ever heard of. You treat the workers <laughs> like human beings and suddenly everything's coming up resale. Yeah, so like that's probably how he got the inside track on when they restocked, so on and so forth. It got to such a problem that a lot of the stores change their stocking hours. Generally speaking, lots of stores will stock either all day, depending on the size of the store, or in the morning. A lot of the TJX stores swapped to stocking this specific item in the evenings. And I'm not kidding or exaggerating, multiple sources said this, to prevent property damage from morning crowds fighting over stuff. I believe it. Yeah. Like, I guess people were getting so rowdy they were, like, knocking over whole cases of things. And it got so irritating for TJX that they just decided to flip the script and, like, all the stores kind of stock at different hours now. So that people can't get a read on a when, so that they can't congregate. They've also done things like ban employees from buying these specific items because a lot of employees really quickly caught on and became resellers, which I tip my hat to them. Which is bullshit. Like, come on. You gotta give, like, they're here doing this bullshit retail job. Give them something. Yeah. Like, maybe limit the number of pieces they can buy if it's so important they get onto the floor. But like, come on. You can't say don't ever again. That's so unfair. They have to deal with these women. The least they can do is profit off of it. Exactly. It's a lame rule and... Mr. Thomas James Max, if you're listening. Mr. Thomas and Jonathan Max. <laughs> yes. See, another thing that I thought was, like, really interesting about this being, like, Baby's first collection is that, like, they have their own lingo, too. People you shop with are called Done Buddies, and they have lists of things they want called ISOs, in search ofs, and pieces that are hard to find and extremely wanted by an individual is called Unicorn. I think that's all very cute and fun. And again, if you're into collecting things, you kind of know that this is... They didn't invent any of this. I think they feel like they did. I am, however, wary for someone who sets up a dating profile and proudly proclaims that they're a Ray Dunn unicorn hunter. Oh my god. Oh, I got sick to my stomach thinking about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Oh god, you've got you've to join our polycule and you better have the birdhouse clock while you're at it. Oh no. So pretty much like every TJX store at this point has forbidden employees to talk about their stocking schedules and will not answer even large media outlets' queries about their stocking habits. TJX spokeswoman Erica Tower has said, We have a long-standing practice of not speaking about specific vendors. Generally, the average TJ Maxx, Marshalls, or Home Goods store receives several deliveries a week, with each delivery containing thousands of new items, including many popular dishware brands. Our rapidly changing assortments create the treasure hunt shopping experience that our customers love. That's what makes our brand so exciting to shop. I think it's interesting that TJ Maxx is actively taking steps to keep it a treasure hunt. Well, yes, because they know that that's the way to keep people buying. It's the same way when you work at Hot Topic, you're not allowed to answer any over-the-phone questions about Funko Pop stock. I can tell you with full confidence that is true. <laughs> also, can I include this quote from Twitter user Shelby Boring just for you? They said, My galaxy brain take is that I think of Ray Dunn as sort of like a modern mass-produced Marcel Duchamp. Often imitated, never duplicated. You can talk all day about the merit of their work, but what's more important is that they were smart enough to do it first. Huh. <laughs> I am delighted with that take, if only because I know the havoc it would have wreaked in any of our art history classes. That was exactly- I was like, Ken's gonna love this because it's so chaotic. 
If you've never had an art school education, it's all worth it just for the moment in the art history class where the professor asks people to define art and every major gets very angry at every other major. <laughs> it's, it's really funny in retrospect. It was funny at the time, are you kidding? <laughs> That's true, I lived for those discussions. It was a hoot all the way through. My favorite thing is that all of us were dedicated to making it worse in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, because we're illustrators, we're the most commercial of them all. <laughs> We don't give a shit. Sure, art can be a urinal turned upside down. Why not? We'll be over here with our watercolors. Enjoy! I think my favorite was Devin yelling at someone who was doing the overplayed, so what you could just, like, you could just put in a urinal and call it art, and then it's art because you said so. And he was like, yeah, and you're just mad because he did it first. Next! (laughs) (laughs) Which started a small riot. Oh, man. I do really like Scott McCloud's definition of art, which is human creation for a purpose other than survival. I like that. You know what? If your friend group is getting heated over the conversation of what is art, just drop that one and they'll all shut up. And also, like, maybe play some Jackbox or something. Like, you guys are way too intense, frankly. Yeah, you know what? There's, like, <laughs> pay some fun paper games. Maybe an exquisite corpse if you guys are really artsy. Instead of talking about art, why not make some? Yeah, that's fun. Thanks for coming to Fun Things to Do with Your Friends Other Than Argue Hour. From two friends who created a podcast where sometimes what they do is argue. Uh, for an hour. <laughs> so, Ray Dunn. So the thing about reselling that really fascinates me is that I used to wonder a lot about what would have happened if Beanie Babies and that fad had happened during our very internet-rich era that we're living in now. I mean... PD Babies took off the way they did because eBay happened. That's true. But that was Web 1.0. Yeah. And that heralded the end of Beanie Babies for a lot of reasons because of it being Web 1.0. Can you imagine if there was Beanie Baby aesthetic at the height of the Beanie Baby craze? I'm here to argue that that's exactly what we're seeing with Ray Dunn. I'm not going to disagree with you for once. It has a lot of the hallmarks of what went wrong for the Beanie Baby craze. They sell extremely low for an initial cost. They are functional to a point, and the reselling, because they're so low-priced initially, you can make a huge profit with still not charging a crazy amount. Yeah, you buy it for 5 you sell it for 10 you've doubled your money. Most people, actually, the $5 mugs, I saw the desirable ones, basically whatever holiday is going on right now. It's Halloween. It's always Halloween. Keep Halloween in your heart year-round. They go for 20 bucks, which is tripling your profit. That's quadrupling your profit. Quadrupling. I'm good with numbers. I'm an art student. <laughs> and that was exactly what started driving the Beanie Baby obsession. Again, was this low investment rate. It kind of seemed like you could make infinite money because you could buy low and sell high, but not high enough to dissuade your common consumer. Add in the fact that the age groups and, like, categories of people this appeals to are generally present on Facebook, and Facebook made the marketplace a hellish, horrible nightmarescape, which is filled with Ray Dunn. Yay! And it's destined to crash, as Ray Dunn herself had said, because it will never stop coming. Well, counterpoint, that's what we said about Funkos, and people are still buying Funkos. That's true, but I have faith that it's still going to crash eventually. And even if it doesn't crash, I actually think it may have reached a strange stability where the concept of purchasing them as an investment is going to be insane no matter whether or not they crash. Because they will just never inflate value, ever, literally ever. Because nothing's being retired? Yeah. I think, obviously, you're still going to have, like, Comic-Con specials that will retain value, but you could say that about anything. 
You are using Comic-Con special as a generic term to promote a special limited sale, and not that Ray Dunn is literally having a booth at Comic-Con. I'm not going to say anything about that, because I might speak in the spirit of Apollo and make it happen, and frankly, that terrifies me, so we're just gonna... Ken said it, not me. If it happens, it's his fault now. Yay! (laughs) I cannot wait for the Ray Dunn-Jack Skellington crossover for Halloween! I'm going to drive my car off a building into another building. (laughs) If you keep speaking this into power. (laughs) But yeah, personally, I think these were never intended to be limited. The number of pieces that are limited are unnaturally low because, of course, none of them were manufactured with the intention of being limited. I think the likelihood of repeats is extremely high in the future. Because they still got the molds. They've got all the molds. Ray Dunn herself doesn't seem to be super interested in keeping everything, like, bespoke. Uh, This is very much, like, unabashedly a money-making venture for her. It's going to happen, and that's going to damage the secondhand market irreparably, hopefully, because, boy, howdy, has this gotten out of control, a la Beanie Babies. Some of the rare pieces, I I looked into this because, again, if you guys are Ray Dunn hunters, I don't want to, like, completely dunk on you. I don't believe in what you're doing. (laughs) I believe in you. You can do it. Well, I'll just say I'm a hardcore believer in buying things you like. The end. The birdhouses, especially the birdhouse clocks, these come up again as people's unicorns or grails. No one could tell me why, except that they're larger and have a higher price point, so they just stock less often. I'm assuming that's why. Well, it's also, it's a clock, yeah? So it's got a lot of finicky mechanical bits and bobs that have to stay intact, yeah? True. A little more complicated than your average plate. True. Other rare pieces are the holiday pieces, limited by sheer fact of being available for a short period of time. And to stay relevant, holiday pieces do tend to have to be redesigned every year, or at least not repeated year to year. I would buy the exact same skeleton mug every single year, honestly. If you're listening, Magenta, manager of Ray Dunn's line... Same. (laughs) Specifically Halloween. I'm guessing just because there are a lot of spooky bitches out there like Kenneth and me. It's us. Hello. Welcome to our crypt. (laughs) We've brought some moss just for you. It is a fine moss. And it looks wonderful with this minimalist skeleton mug. Other than that, in general, it tends to be the kitchen pieces that is what everyone is getting obsessed over and reselling. There are lots of tchotchkes in the Ray Dunn line, like desk bits and bobs, that really don't have the reselling and online and, like, collector presence that the mugs and canisters and dishwares have. Really specifically the mugs, which I find strange, personally. I did find the interesting that the pieces that people are obsessing over tend to be useful, practical things that you could conceivably find a space for in your life. Which does appeal to my utilitarian sensibilities. It is the one way they differ from Beanie Babies in a huge way. It is, and a way they differ from Funko Pops. Because Beanie Babies were still utilitarian to a point because they were actual fun toys for children. They were. That even doesn't carry the utilitarian use of, say, this is a cup. Anyone can use a cup. You don't have to have kids to justify owning that. You just have to imbibe liquids. Which we encourage you to do. Hydrate more. Another really interesting thing I noticed about the resale market for Ray Dunn things is that they seem to have fractured and destroyed the Facebook communities surrounding Ray Dunn collectors. Oh, this is delightful. Please tell me more. Give me the hot goss. <laughs> One of the really big aspects of Ray Dunn collection seems to be forming communities. This doesn't surprise me. That is, I think, the impetus for all collections at the end of the day. 
I don't know I necessarily need a community to appreciate my library. I just need a me. Well, books are different. (laughs) Books are different for a lot of reasons. But when I think about it, I think about how I actually got into collecting My Little Ponies through finding the community first. Oh. And being really interested in how these people found value in these objects and what they found valuable and the fact that you could befriend them. And for me, it still is like a huge thing about my interest in collecting is kind of like the sense of camaraderie that comes with trading and finding pieces for other people that you've gotten to know. Oh. So it's not analogous to my book collection, it's analogous to Flight Rising. It's analogous to Flight Rising, yeah. My digital dragon collection. (laughs) My digital dragon collection. (laughs) Which I endorse because you don't have to spend real money on it to have fun. It's pretty great, gotta say. (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I glommed onto this because they were talking about ISO lists, which in, when you join these, like, kind of regional communities, you, a lot of people have, like, these public posts that'll say, in search of this piece. And sometimes people will see that piece at one of their areas and sell it to you or trade it to you for something. What will you trade for my skeletons? My beautiful- those are not up for trade. Those are very valuable. Aww. And that is how reselling destroyed the community. As things got more and more valuable, that sense of camaraderie and willingness to help each other out dissolved under the desire to make money. Oh no, capitalism ruined it. Capitalism really ruined it. And it led people into, again, something that I've been reading articles treating like it had just occurred to them, but if you are a big, big fucking nerd like me, you know has always been a really serious issue with people who are into collecting, which is hoarding and financial ruin due to your obsession. Our hoarders episode coming soon. That, yeah, that one's gonna be tough. Uh, It's a lot to tackle there. And that was kind of where my head was at when I was reading about this, because it had become quickly apparent that that's where a lot of these people got led. On a scale of one to Funko Pop Divorce, where are we looking at? We're at Funko Pop Divorce. Oh dear. A lot of women have openly talked about how this put their marriage in peril. And a lot of the people who were talking about having what they had decided for themselves were issues with these collections were women who were actively going through... I'm saying women because that was actually the demographic I found talking about this. Actively going through huge, upsetting life changes. One woman started the collection when she had separated from her husband. Oh, we are doing shop therapy. We're doing shop therapy. We're doing shop therapy with a built-in community. Oh no, that is danger. (laughs) Yeah. That is very danger for the brain. It is huge danger for the brain. And we're, for example, uh, a collecting sphere like for me, the My Little Pony thing isn't quite as bad because for a lot of people, these are vintage pieces where you can't go out every week and find a restock. Um, I do collect things where that is the case and... In those situations, I see the same thing happening. People become addicted emotionally and financially in uh, in these things and obsessed with reselling at times. Transformers specifically, you want to talk to me about having to watch people like argue about when Target does a restock, holy shit. For more on that, check out our toy collecting episode. (laughs) Boy, we sure do talk a lot on this podcast. It's like it's about history and collectibles and releases every week on a variety of topics. I know. (laughs) Check it out. That's a joke. You're already listening. (laughs) A lot of that I got from what is now an infamous blog post on the wherewesummer.com blog, an article called Addicted to Ray Dunn Debt. Sorry, is the title of the blog a reference to having a summer home? 
It's a reference to wanting to have a summer home. This woman is by no means wealthy. Okay. I'm still cringing, but go on. Another part of why I did this episode, other than finding it fascinating and drawing comparisons to other collecting groups and issues that pop up in them, is because now you could hear all about it without having to listen to all of those terrible mommy blogs that I did for you. Yay! So, now that I've talked about how horrifying this can all be, do you want tips on how to get your own Ray Dunn pieces? Oh, you know it! I'm gonna editorialize these pretty heavily. Go early and multiple times a week, or go as many times as you're able to go. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't do that. Don't turn this into a job for yourself. That's not fun. Uh, learn your store. This can be helpful. If you shop at a place frequently enough, you can just kind of get a feel for when new things pop up. I think that's fine. I think the other tips of ask the associate questions about when they restock. Oh, don't do that. Don't get people fired. Don't do that. It's unfair. It probably worked earlier. Now that it has become a known issue, you are just annoying an employee and occasionally getting them in trouble. They probably will not answer you. Unless you, like, know someone personally, obviously I shouldn't have to tell you, like, that's a different area. And if you start bringing them, like, coffee and donuts, you might loosen them up a little. And I'm never going to tell you to not treat your local retail staff like friends because that's always recommended but like treat them like an actual human friend don't like try to butter them up you know yeah interact with them authentically as if they are a human being with thoughts and feelings and dreams and hopes just like you are because they are exactly uh the reseller that i mentioned earlier had mentioned that his large purchases and constant presence added work to them and he just kind of wanted to thank them for it that's the correct approach so i'm gonna Put a big question mark on whether or not you should do that. If you go multiple times a week, and you should only do that if it, it's actually fun for you, you can get a feel for when new stuff crops up and then kind of get a sense for when restocks happen. That's fine. Be quiet when you do it. For the love of God. These suggestions I thought were great. Check other sections of the store other than just the specified Ray Dunn areas. The TJX stores stocking these so much that they often run out of dedicated space for them. So if you look in, say, the pet supply area, you might find some fun puppy bowls for the Ray Dunn set that weren't out with the other pieces. Oh. You can also check the checkout areas where they tend to put seasonal specific things if they've run out of room. If you are extremely polite and they don't seem otherwise very busy, and you see a restock tank, which is just those big gray cages that they have the restock boxes in, you can ask them to open them up and see if you can grab a piece or two. Again, this is very dependent for me on whether or not they are not crushingly busy and it does, does not seem like an imposition. And also, accept no as a complete, full, and final answer. Yes, <laughs> that's a very important addition. Thank you, Ken. They also mentioned checking other areas than just the Ray Dunn sections so you can find the associate stashes. Because apparently associates, since they can't buy or hold items, will just like put them weird places and ask a friend to pick them up for them. But that's fucked up, because you're stealing it from the employee who's trying to get it at that point. Yeah, I don't endorse that as a tactic. If you see something that was clearly hidden, just leave it, for fuck's sake. Yeah. You can tell. Here's the thing. As someone who does this, who has done this, you'll always be able to tell what was deliberately hidden and what was something someone just put back wrong. Make friends who are also do Ray Dunn hunts and shop with and for each other. This is an actual term called Dunn Buddies. <laughs> Incredible. I think to keep it healthy, it's important to lean into the community aspect over the collecting and monetary aspect. I think that that can be really healthy and great. And I think that if you have a great, a good mind space about it, that you guys can keep each other in check from getting too caught up in competing to see who has the biggest collection. And it can actually just be a fun thing at that point. 
if you're just buying things that you genuinely like and you have a friend who knows what you like and you guys are occasionally exchanging pieces, that can be very wholesome and fun. The key is that it's stuff you like and that you're not just doing it so that you can compete with everyone with those big cool collections. You should also join groups where upselling is not allowed, but trading and base price reselling is encouraged. This is what decimated a lot of the Facebook communities. As a result, they did the, what I think is a really cool move to just keep selling to within certain points of base price. Which I think is nice. I think encouraging a healthy sense of community and looking out for each other and helping you find stuff you like is a really good move for groups to maintain a sense of collecting community. Buy things in pairs if it's really nice so you do have stuff to trade for for stuff that you really like. I think that's fine if you're not getting in over your head or you don't have like a garage space dedicated to your extras. This is kind of like, I think, on the same level as just making friends with other people. Because you can just get a sense of, if you know someone really wanted certain Halloween pieces, you can just get an extra one and trade it for something they might have that you want. That's the fun part of collecting. I think that's great. And I added this myself. Do bring coffee and donuts for the employees if you are there all the time and just generally taking up a lot of their space and time. Yeah. I included Where We Summer's list of things to ask yourself when you are shopping for Ray Dunn. I think it's really important. I think her perspective is extremely important. Her list is... Do I really like this item, or am I buying it because it's popular and hard to find? Am I only buying this so I can show it off and feel a sense of achievement? Will I ever use this item, either for its intended purpose or for display? Will buying this item add clutter at home? Does the clutter at home make you feel stressed and anxious? Can I truly afford this item without going into debt? Am I swiping my credit card mindlessly without thinking? Do I already have a similar item at home? Are other people influencing what I like, or am I deciding for myself? Do I only want to buy this because someone else decided it was the new hard-to-find-and-in-item? Do I acknowledge that just because someone I don't know on the internet says something is cute doesn't mean it's actually cute? I can think for myself. Am I buying a timeless piece that I will enjoy for years to come? Is my hobby hurting my family in any way? Am I spending too much time hunting and not spending enough quality time with my family? Do my kids really want to be dragged to the store on a regular basis to buy dishes? Is this hobby hurting my abilities to be the parent they need? If I stop spending so much on Ray Dunn, are there better things my money can go towards? Vacations, paying off debt, a house fund, my child, etc. A lovely list. I think it applies to many things. Yeah, I was gonna say, that's just a good life advice for shopping for anything, honestly. Uh, yeah, which is why I was delighted to include it here. I think I'm gonna email her for permission to make it into a graphic. Just a nice little flowchart. Yeah, I'll put on all my, like, collection sites. Yeah. And that's important because, boy, howdy, has the Ray Dunn fandom gone absolutely nuts. We mentioned multiple times that there are videos you can see of people fighting each other physically for this stuff. WhereWeSummer.com collected a variety of anonymous admissions of people who were in serious financial and family trouble due to their obsession with hunting. And less serious, this is a bunch of TikToks where the collectors have Mug of the Day vlogs, where they just bring out, like, one mug and, like, that's their mug that they show you, I think that's extremely fucking strange. I would like to do that with, like, an actual mug collection where they all looked different. Not different mugs by the same designer that are designed to kind of look very minimalist and monolithic, differing only in the content of the same font on each mug. <laughs> that's the thing, I watched ten of them, and all of them were one word. It was just like, believe. This is the believe mug. It's got a dimple. They all have dimples. <laughs> <laughs> at the risk of doing a tangent i forget which comedy company did this skit 
I forget who did this skit, but it was uh, Manic Pixie Dream Girl Home for Rehabilitation. Yes, I can't remember what skit that was, but I remember the skit. Where one of the boyfriends tried to get back with his Manic Pixie Dream Girl who was being rehabilitated. And at one point he just shrieks at the orderly, she listens to the Smiths. And the orderly shrieks back, they all listen to the Smiths. (laughs) Yes. Yes. It's like that, but ceramics. It really is, yeah. Manic Pixie Dream Ceramics. My god. Maybe I'm being naive about this. I found entire YouTube channels that were dedicated to collectors that had entire garage storage spaces just for their raid done overflow. I don't see that very often, and again, I'm an avid collector. I have seen and do know people with rooms for their collections. A garage outflow is new to me, and there's so many of them that it felt strange. The only guy I know with a garage full of a thing he collects is because he also resells the thing he collects. Yeah, that's more of what I know as well, (laughs) yeah. And an entire cottage industry that is thriving on Etsy at the moment for Ray Dunn display accessories. So that you can be the hottest person on TikTok with your Ray Dunn display for the season. Because Ray Dunn does releases that tend to be seasonal, so there'll be a spring, Valentine's, blah blah blah. A lot of people go on their TikToks and flex their collections with specific, like, tailored displays. What I was fixating on were fake whipped cream mug toppers. Wait, so it's like a lid for your mug that looks like whipped cream dollops? Yeah, for your specifically for your displays. They're made of silicone, so you can't use them for drinking or, like, actually covering your mug. What in the whole heck? Yeah, it's basically fake food to go with your kitchen displays, which I think is great because we've reinvented like 1960s fake food kitsch. I was gonna say, we've reinvented the bowl full of plastic fruit on the dining room table at all times. What are we doing? We brought it right the fuck back, my man. Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) And that is the down low on the Ray Dunn madness. Do you have any thoughts, questions, Ken? Should it not be called the Dunn low? Oh, God damn it. God damn it. Well, we'll have to do the episode over. I had a joke where I was going to introduce it with dun dun dun, but like, if you can't see it, it doesn't like hit. Yeah, it's hard to tell it's a pun when it just sounds the exact same. So yeah, so I axed it except for telling you about it. Thank you. Sources today include countryliving.com, Ray Dunn interview, houstonchronicle.com, Ray Dunn hunting woman on a mission, (laughs) that's the title, inthenow.com, Ray Dunn women, and wherewesummer.com blog addicted to Ray Dunn debt. Also, YouTube entertainers Swell Entertainment, Ray Dunn and the Moms Who Love It, and Missy Way TXO. Five ways to help you find the most Ray Dunn in 2021. If you, like Olivia and Devin and several other people, have an idea for a topic we could cover on this podcast, you can email us directly, antiquesfreakspodcast at gmail.com. You can post in our Facebook group, Antiques Freaks Friends. You can tag us on Tumblr, antiquesfreaks.tumblr.com. If you want to tell us about how you feel about Ray Dunn, this podcast, or something completely unrelated, you can scroll on down to Ray for listening to this and leave us a review. 10 out of 10, now I'm obsessed with Ray Dunn, thanks for ruining my life. We also have an Etsy at etsy.com slash shop slash antiquesfreaks for all of your vintage goods needs, and we also sell t-shirts and stickers with a podcast logo on them. Act fast, because people are buying a ton of our vintage hairnets, so if you want some of those, better hop on it. How are we for haunted clowns? Um, I got more haunted clowns coming, but we are actually tapped out of haunted clowns now. <gasps> the clown has sold! The clown is free! 
<laughs> the clown is free. The clown is going to be going to its new home soon. Clown off the string. Who will he kill? I, God, I hope not the person that bought him. No, 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 no. I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> if you'd like to listen to deleted scenes or check out our special bonus episode chapter by chapter presentation of the Penny Dreadful Varney the Vampire, you can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash antiquesfreaks. Special shout out to our current patrons for paying our hosting fees and filling our hearts with love. So much love. And thank you in particular for listening. That's right, you. Au revoir. Goodbye. <laughs>